thing I love about that song is just not a song of proclamation about his love for us and his friendship with us, but it's also a song of response at the same time. It's the thing I love about these old songs that we sing. It's very rare to get a, a proclamation and a response or a challenge in the same song. But what a friend we do have in Jesus, and we're discovering more about his friendship that he has for us, found in Romans chapter 8. So I invite you to turn to your Bibles. Please have them open if you have one with you. It's very important to, to look in your own copy of the Word, even though I'll, we'll have some verses up for you on the screen, just for you to compare. As is my usual custom, I do chop and change between versions, and um, I've done the same today. It's just um, interesting how other people have, um, or how translators have interpreted scriptures to really, uh, they can draw meaning, different meanings out of different versions. It's very interesting when you study the different versions of the Bible. The title of this morning's message is just one simple statement, God is for you. God is for you. And we're reading um, or we're discovering or exploring, whatever word you want to put in there, verses 31 to 32 today. 31 to 32 in Romans chapter 8. Now God is for you. We know it, but the question is, do do we actually believe it? Do we believe it? Especially when... We wake up on a Monday morning and all hell breaks loose. God is for you. Do you actually believe it? That's the question. Now, as we've been going through Romans chapter 8, we've been discovering or answering really, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, and I haven't directed directly to it or explicitly directed to it, but this is a question that a lot of people have. A lot of people want answers for it. Not just non-believers, but actually Christians want answers to this question. And we've been exploring it in Romans chapter 8. I'm not sure if you've realized. If God is good, if God is all-loving, which believe God is love, then why does he allow suffering? A lot of people can't answer this question. Mainly because they probably don't have the time to answer it. But a good place to start, if you ever do have someone asking you this question, because I hope... I hope you just have that desire to be, just to even want or to be, want to be able to answer people's questions about the faith. We are instructed to do it for the hope that we have, but I love it how God speaks to each of us individually. And, you know, and not everyone wants to get so deep into the word that, you know, it's, it's, it becomes mind-boggling to them. But a lot of people love it. I don't believe it's for everyone. But we're still instructed to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. Like, why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Now, that does not necessarily mean you have to be able to answer this question. But wouldn't it be good if you were able to, in case you come across someone exploring... Maybe God's been talking to them lately, but they're a bit puzzled. 
They're complexed. What, what, why is all this stuff happening in the world if you're saying God is love? Romans chapter 8 is perfect passage to explore that. And so we're going to be reflecting on this theme throughout the message. But just as a reminder and a quick review, just to introduce this theme, if you haven't been thinking about it already, as we've been looking through Romans chapter 8, even when you look at starting at verses 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So we're talking about creation there. And we believe Paul's talking metaphorically here because the creation can't mean us. It can't mean demons. It can't mean angels. It can't mean unbelievers. It's talking about all creation. So figuratively, metaphorically, all these effects of the fallen or cursed world with the gardeners out there, don't you wish that there was no such thing as a weed? Right? That's a result of the fall. That is a result of the curse that has been placed on this earth as a result of Adam and Eve taking that forbidden fruit. It says there, 20, verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, they didn't have a choice, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. We all groan. Everyone is groaning. Even an unbeliever is groaning in one way or another. Mainly because they don't really have the hope. It differs, obviously, between the unbeliever. Depends on where they are in society. Depends how affluent they are. But we're all groaning. Suffering occurs because of the fallen world. Because of the curse that is in this world. Will this curse be forever? No. It will be lifted up when... Well, for us, it'll be lifted up. And then it'll be gone completely when the whole earth is destroyed and replaced by a new earth, which we call the new heavens. And that will be our final destination. So I don't believe the people who have, the Christians who have passed on, we call that up in heaven, but to me it's just a paradise. It's not the new heaven and the new earth, because the new heaven will replace this earth. This earth that we live on will be eventually destroyed. Everyone's groaning. Is God causing it? No. Why does God allow it? Well, let's just go through these verses and see. First of all, we come to verses, a new section really, I think, um, my, my new section in, in the Bible, um, well, the section in my Bible starts at verse 28, but I think this is a new section. Um, what shall we say then to these things? You might remember in Romans chapter 3, I had a title of one message called Objection, Your Honor. If you look at Romans chapter 3, the start of it, it's very similar language to what he's doing here. It's like he's 
answering objections rhetorically. So it's, it gives the impression that Paul has heard these arguments. And what are the arguments against? Well, what have we been learning about lately in these last few verses? Our glorification. Or in other words, our eternal security. And that's why on Wednesday nights we're going to be looking at why we believe in one saved, always saved. But rather, I think we're there because we've gone through Romans verse by verse. And I think, to me, you should be convinced that um, Paul has written, you know, you can't lose your salvation because of what God has done in us and through us. But exploring those passages of how people interpret loss of salvation. Because again, it's good to be able to answer those people if they have those questions, if it's puzzling. And yes, there are a lot of Christians out there that believe in loss of salvation. It is quite ridiculous. But objection, these are like objections. Um, and we're going to be going through one, for instance, that says, what then shall we say to these things? A lot of people answer, what things is Paul talking about? Some people say, well, he's been talking about the whole book of Romans. I don't know about that. Um, some people say, well, start of chapter 8. Because chapter 8 is really a theme. It starts off by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation, and finishes off with saying, nothing can separate us from the love of God. They're kind of two of the same things said the same way, right? Or could it be just what Paul has been talking about lately, of our glorification, our eternal security. On what, you know, I'm going to reference it later, of what God has started in you, he's going actually to finish it. He's going to complete it. So God's for us, he says. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? So what's Paul experiencing people and saying, oh, whatever, Paul. You can't get up on your high horse and declare to us because you believe in Jesus Christ that you are going to be saved forever? That's utter rubbish. Paul answers the question, if, if God's for us, who can be against us? Surely there is someone or something that can take away our salvation. Is there anyone who can take away our salvation? There's a lot of people who think they can people. Take for instance this. I just came across this story. An Arizona priest, this has just happened a couple of years, week, uh, years ago, but um, recently it was in the news because the effects of this happened on a, a current priest in, um, in Michigan. An Arizona priest discovers he messed up baptisms for 20 plus years. Now you might ask, how can you mess up a baptism for 20 plus years? Now, to be on the same page, remember, Catholics believe that in order for you to be saved, you have to be baptized, right? preferably as an infant. But even if you do all these other things, like partake in mass and even get married, that's not legitimate or it's not valid unless you have been baptized in the Catholic Church. So infant baptism relies on absolutely everything. It's of the utmost importance in the Catholic Church. 
How does someone mess it up? Well, instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, he says, or he said, we baptize you in the name of the Son, of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The Vatican made a decree that because anyone who messed up that one word, who changed it from I to we, are no longer valid. Their salvation has been taken away. Their quote, salvation has been taken away just because of one word. So a recent priest who was one of the recipients of this guy, Father Andres Arango or something like that, did this in 2020. Um, since, of course, he had to resign. Uh, <laughs> He, uh, uh, the, one of his recipients, uh, a current priest, had to get rebaptized, and um, and and they're publicly calling on anyone who was baptized, anyone who was married by this guy, to get remarried, to get rebaptized, everything like that, taken away. Now, that doesn't relate to us, but this person, this might be appropriate for us. Put your hand up if you think you know this person. That's worrying. You should know who this person is. You need to know who this person is. Because he is someone who is trying to take away all our salvation. Currently today. Now, his name is Yudavau Noharani. He's actually an Israeli. He's from Israel. He's a Jew. Not professed Jew, because he's an atheist. But he's done all the studies of religion, particularly Christianity and Judaism. And it's still, it's all fake news. He believes fake news didn't just start when Donald Trump got into presidency. It started thousands of years ago. The first fake news was the Bible. This was a Twitter feed of his recently. History began when humans invented gods. History ends when humans become gods. Does that sound familiar? Wasn't actually this the first sin? Remember Genesis 3, 4 to 5? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She's thinking about taking the fruit, but God said we're going to die. No. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and what? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. From the very first sin, people have always wanted to be like God, wanted to be God. And in a way, we all before we've come to faith in Christ, done that metaphorically in that, well, it's my life. Therefore, I'm in control of it. I'm the God of my own life. I decide what happens. Let me share some things of why you should be aware of this guy. 
Here's some more quotes from Yuval. So, this is a person who is the lead advisor of Mr. Klaus Schwab, who you might know. He's the founder of the World Economic Forum, which is the main organization that is trying to get the world to have a great reset. This person, being the lead advisor of that group, believes in the Great Reset, in transhumanism, in culling the population, and using a global government to control humanity at the biometric level. He's praised by Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Mark Zuckerberg, and of course, Klaus Schwab. He talks about useless human beings who do not have meaning or purpose, the complete opposite of what we believe. He said Christianity is wrong, that humans are here on earth for nothing. Jesus Christ is fake news. He believes there's no great cosmic plan that humans have a role to play in. Instead, he views humans as useless eaters who can be hacked and manipulated using digital surveillance under their skin. He also believes in culling the population what do we need so many humans for? He is quoted as saying while promoting his latest book. In a recent interview, he said the world is entering a new industrial revolution. But the products will not be physical goods. He said science, technology, and industry's greatest challenge of the 21st century will be to, quote, try to gain control of the world inside us, to learn how to engineer and produce bodies and brains and minds. He says these are likely to be the main products of the 21st century economy. He said once you know how to produce bodies and brains and minds so cheap, well, labor in Africa and South Asia, it simply counts for nothing. The biggest question in maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades will be what to do with all these useless People, he said with a straight face. He said technology will ensure that everyone is fed, so food is not the problem. The problem is more boredom and what to do with them and how they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. He prescribed drugs and computer games solutions to entertain useless people's brains. Now listen carefully. He said a global government will collect and use data on every person to learn how to engineer bodies, brains and minds. He says data and biometrics will be used to hack human beings and re-engineer the future of human life itself. He said intelligent design never existed and any notion of a creator God will be driven out of society as humans become hackable, programmable. Harari even claims that the laws of natural selection and organic biochemistry will be eliminated and replaced by a transhumanist future where humans become hackable animals, manipulated and controlled. He says, we have the technology, we have 
the technology. Notice that tense. We have the technology to hack humans on a massive scale. Can you believe that? He added crises should be exploited to implement more surveillance throughout society so elites can monitor, collect data, and engineer the future trajectory of human life. Maybe that's something to keep in mind as we approach the next election. Much of this surveillance will come under the skin as biometric data became a pathway to manipulate human populations. Arise said we already have the ability to go under the skin and collect biometric data, allowing elites the power to re-engineer life itself. We are upgrading humans into gods. He said in an emergency, people trust the scientists. He used the example of priests and ministers shutting down their churches worldwide in 2020 to prove that God is dead. Going forward, people will put their faith in the scientific elite and global government. He bought. Quote, even the religious leaders trust the scientists, he said. He is trying to eradicate Christianity, salvation here in this world. But boy, does he know that he will fail. Nothing, nothing can destroy us for those of us who trust in Jesus Christ. No one can be against us. Now you might say, look at that verse and say, well, we have everyone against us. My neighbor is even against me. He doesn't like my faith. Look at all those people being persecuted. Now, don't be tempted to interpret this verse like that, as I have done. Against, when you go into the Greek, actually means defeat. No one can defeat us. No one can beat us because God is with us. Just like I think it was Billy Graham. Look at the back of the book. And what does it say? It says, We win. We win. So is Paul here trying to implore his audience that absolutely no one, not even the devil himself, which we're going to go into next time, can take away our salvation? But again, I ask you, when we say God is on our side, and I chose this one version because it only has one version. Only one version of my memory. I think it was the New International Readers version, if you've ever heard of that. Which, to me, is the most accurate way of saying this. What should we say then? Notice the word if is replaced with since. So it's not a matter of if God is for us, even though Remember, God is not for everyone. God is only for those who we see in verse 28. Those who are the cord, according to his purpose. Those who actually love God. But since, Paul is saying, when we look at this word if in the Greek, since God is on our side, who can be against us? The question is, do you believe it? 
Do you believe it? Because I have a confession to make today. Another confession. <sighs> On the screen. You know what it is? A smoke alarm. Boy, as a family, we have had a journey this week with smoke alarms. 2 a.m. in the morning, I think it was. Goes off and then stops. No explanation, no smoke, no nothing. But you know what went through my mind when I couldn't get back to sleep? <laughs> Lord, why would you allow this? What have I done wrong to deserve this? We're always tempted to go there. I was even talking to someone last week. I was the one. And it's just so funny, it's thinking back now. Here I am encouraging someone to know, no, it's not you. Your computer's not broken because of something you've done. Your computer on purpose to teach you a lesson. It's not you. Here I am. But now I'm thinking the same thing. Your arms are stuck up because of something that you've done wrong. It's got nothing to do with you. But notice how we're always tempted to go there. We're always tempted to go there. Do you believe that God is for us? Now, some of you might think, I was wondering between whether to go on to this, some of you might go into, but what about, what, how do you reconcile God's chastisement towards things going on in your life? And I always point back to, remember, God's chastisement is not punishing you for sins in the past. It's training for you it's training you for things in the future. Remember, your sins were paid for at the cross. Stays at the cross. This chastisement, I think we get mixed up with... Um, yeah, do you want to go chase that person up? Yeah. Might be an opportunity. Chastisement, I think we get muddled up with our own earthly discipline of our children especially when we read scriptures and proverbs along the lines of, you know, don't spare the rod. The correction of the child is very important. So we, we, we relate that rod, which for us might have been a whip, might have been a belt, might have been a paddle. And we relate that to God doing that for us. But that's not chastisement. That is not God's discipline. I reflect on this again. If there's suffering in your life, you have to believe. You have to believe that God is still for you. He's not orchestrating it on purpose to harm you because he's against you. He's allowing what is happening in your life for your good. 
And I don't have the time to go through all those scriptures because we know all of them. It's for our growth. It's for our maturity. It's for our strength. It's, it's for us. He doesn't take it away. I believe some things he does take away. We don't know what they are, right? But the things we do go through, the things you might be going through right now, God is still for you. He's allowing it for your good. Don't just know it, believe it. And finally, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Now just take note of that language. Again, God the Father willingly, willingly gave up, willingly presented his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice. Just like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Some people would call this child abuse, but we know it's not that. It's just, that is the propitiation. Okay, 1 John chapter 2, look up the word. That was the, the satisfied requirement for us or for the sin of not just mine and not just everyone in this room, but the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was the satisfied requirement for the sins of the whole entire world. God deemed that necessary. He delivered his son for us. To do that for us. He didn't spare his son. He delivered him up for us all. Now, look at that last verse very carefully. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's given us his son so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can begin a relationship with God. How much more will he give us all things. In other words, if he gave us the ultimate gift to redeem us, don't you think he'll do what is needed to sustain us? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began the good work. He died for you. He made salvation available to you. He transformed you. His spirit now dwells in you. You are now a new creation. If he began that, don't you think he's going to finish it? But look at this verse very carefully. Look at these words here in this last phrase. Freely. He freely gives it. It's not something that you have to earn. It's actually something that you can't earn. But why are we still trying to earn acceptance from God? Why are we still trying to earn second blessings from God when we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings? Why are we still trying to earn closeness with God? Bringing out troubles 
and night, praying day and night, maybe every single hour, maybe for three hours. Attending church whenever it's open, we're trying to find closeness to God. Why are we trying to earn it when we're told here? He's freely giving us all things. Now, I've been tempted myself to look at that all things. All things, really? Come on. He hasn't given me that variety. He hasn't given me. Let's be more serious than that. He hasn't given me healing for all my illnesses, for my sickness. I need that to be sustained. Well, actually, do you? Do you? Whatever went through your mind just then? And what isn't God providing for you? What is not God giving you freely to sustain you? Ask yourself, do you actually need it to live victoriously in Jesus Christ? Every single thing that we need to sustain us, he says he's going to freely give. And we can believe that because, again, we look at the ultimate demonstration of love in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what, he's just going to stop there? <laughs> what kind of God are we living, are we living for? What kind of God are we believing in? Of course not. We serve a God that gives us freely all things that we need to live a prosperous Christian life. So, last time. If God is so good, why does he allow suffering? Can you answer that question a bit better? Are there still questions that in your mind? Please, email me. Talk to me. I'd love to be able to help you out. Better equip you. Because obviously, my desire is that you go out there and then you present this to someone else. Someone that you actually have a relationship with. Someone that actually will listen to you. Will get advice of you. Are they all going to want it? Of course not. But we're just praying for those opportunities. For the people who actually do. Actually want to know who God is. Hopefully, your knowledge and your understanding of God's love has deepened as a result. Believe it. God is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Just thank you for your love. How deep it is. How magnificent it is. And just to think that when we reflect on maybe the last week or we reflect on Seasons in life when we know, you know we, 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 we're not doing what you want us to do. Father, just even though your love never changes, we still pray that you would just help us repent 
in those ways where we can go outside these doors and be confident and bold and courageous in living out the way that you want us to live, to do those things that you want us to do, to talk to those people that you want us to witness to. Lord, we know it starts in the home, but for some of us it might branch out from there, even to the local church, to the community around us. We're thankful that we each have a relationship with you and that you can talk to us each differently all at the same time. Once again, I ask that you would just help us respond to that and do it in a way that is in obedience to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name.